Hey guys, welcome back. I am Sarah, your host of What's on Your Plate podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to encourage you all to visit my website, lilulosvegan.com. And if you haven't already, sign up for the mailing list. The link is in the show notes. I promise not to overload your inbox with junk you don't want, but what I will be doing is sending you monthly newsletters, podcast updates, and keeping you informed about the next chapter in my journey, that of which is becoming a holistic mind and body practitioner. I am really excited about this. It's been a long time coming, and I'm just completely pumped to share it with you. Sometimes I really have a hard time realizing that I get to do what I get to do here. I really do have to stop and pinch myself sometimes and just ask, is this real? Do I really get to have amazing conversations with phenomenal and inspiring humans and get to share them with the world? Thank you for showing up here with me and being part of the stories, the lives of people who are transformed, created, healed and renewed, and are finding new life and rejuvenation and purpose from the experiences that they share here. Today's conversation speaks to all of that, and on so many levels, I am incredibly excited to share this episode. Andrew Bailey is one of the bravest, most inspiring humans that I've ever had the honor of sharing this space with. He teaches us so much, but most of all, He teaches us that it's never too late to be exactly who you are. Let's go. I'm really excited about my guest today. I am here with my friend, Andrew Bailey, and we go back a while, uh, 10 plus years, I feel like it probably is at this point. And I first connected with Andrew in a running program where uh, we were hitting some long distance miles on the road and training for some different goals. And a lot's changed between now and then. And I wanted to just see where things are at in life for you, Andrew. Welcome to What's On Your Plate podcast. Thanks for being part of the conversation today. It's great to be here, Sarah. It's great to see you again. Um, I think we go back about uh, 14 years, actually, because I think I started... Yeah, I think I started running around the time that I was coming out of the closet. It was around 40. So, okay. and I'm 54 now. So I think at least at least 13 years, but I think it's closer to 14. Okay. Wow. Well, I need to catch up to speed here a little bit, I guess. Well, and you know what? That's exactly what we are here to focus on in our conversation. Um, how you have evolved as a human and how you have came out later in life. When I met you, you were married to a woman Mm -hmm. and had two young kids, you know, I actually had four young kids at that point. Oh, four young kids. Okay. Yeah. The the twins were already born at that point. So yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Jeez. Time flies and just, It, it really does. Thinking back on just what was the reality then versus the reality now? Um, I'd love to dig deeper into that with you. Tell me about just how it's been and how it's going. How it's been? I mean, 
it was not an easy uh an easy road at all um often when we build a fallacy around ourselves and we start building up these walls around ourselves and telling ourselves that we aren't who we are and go further and further into our adult life um we have created this vision of who people think we are um especially if you are a decent actor at it i could have gone up for the academy award i imagine but uh um a lot of people um you know really including myself um just really thought that i was a straight married man who had four children and was living basically a middle class life in suburban indiana yeah um well i mean you had me fooled we'll say that <laughs> right so um i would love to hear your words about when that started becoming something that came more into focus for you, because you just said, you, you know, it's, you go through the motions of living your life and you've convinced everyone around you, including yourself, that something is a certain way. But when did you start to realize it wasn't that way? I think deep down inside, I always knew it wasn't that way. And so there was always this little nagging voice in my head that was, um, you know, talking to me, um, telling me that I wasn't straight. But what really was the biggest challenge, um, I was an ELCA Lutheran pastor, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, um, which is the uh, liberal branch of Lutherans. And I went to seminary in 1992. And in 1993, when I was in my second year of seminary they had uh where all the bishops uh we have a presiding bishop that's over the entire elca plus all the 65 synods which are smaller groupings either by state or municipality also have bishops so they had received a statement saying that they were going to talk about sexuality and the church could talk about sexuality and it was supposed to go out to the pastors and the pastor was supposed to have a day to see that it um went out and um, somebody leaked it to the press, it went out, it blew up. So all of a sudden it became an issue, quote unquote, in our church in 1993. I was ordained in 1996. Every single synod assembly I went to, and the synod that I belonged to was all of Indiana and all of Kentucky. So we would get together once a year for meetings. Every single meeting from 1996 through 2009 focused on human sexuality. Um, as we got closer to 2009, I was also getting closer to my 40th birthday. I was also having some challenges with my marriage. Um, there were other issues that were going on that were not related to my sexuality, along with me dealing with my sexuality. So there were a lot of fractures happening within the marriage. Um, also, the challenges of raising four young kids, uh, being um, in a congregation. There were just a lot of different forces pulling at me. 2007, I went to the to the churchwide assembly. I started talking to a lot of different people, um, especially people who were um, very much um, open in their sexuality, which we didn't see so much in Indiana and Kentucky, but um, from like Chicago, Metro, um, some of the other major cities was talking to a lot of different people. And that two year period, I really started seeing myself struggling with who I was. In 2009, I turned 40 on February 25th, and I just happened to wake up on that day. It happened to be Ash Wednesday also, come to think of it. 
uh, because both my 29th and 40th birthdays were Ash Wednesday, um, which there's some joke in there. Um, but anyway, I remember waking up and I went in the bathroom and I was standing in front of the mirror, either like combing my hair or shaving or something. And all of a sudden I just say, you're gay. And I kind of look around and go, who, who said that? And I realized it was my voice. And it wasn't inside my head. It was actually me verbalizing it out. And at that moment, um, I realized that I had to really wrestle with what was going on with myself. Uh, same time, the church was really, really wrestling with, and later that summer actually approved a statement where clergy and same-sex relationships could be ordained, as long as it's a committed relationship. Uh, now it's marriage because same-sex marriage is allowed, but at that time it was committed. Um, and that's really what started the whole journey. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking about everything that you just said. And I guess the first thing that comes to mind that I want to ask you is how did you approach this in your relationship? How did you tell her or did she already know? Um, how I told her. So that was in February. Um, there have been times throughout entire marriage that she would just ask me, are you gay? And I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. And, um, or she'd say, oh, you're looking at him. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, oh, he's, he, I just want to see what his running form was. Oh, I just wanted, uh, you know, I just wanted to see this. You know, I, you know, I had all the excuses in the book. So she would ask over and over again. Um, afterwards, I had some trusted friends that I talked to and really started talking out. I did um, seek out and I started uh, going to a counselor um, first locally um but end up being an older straight woman um she understood she was actually very compassionate but I wasn't making any really headway later on I did find um an openly gay man who was a counselor and uh made a lot more headway because he understood the journey a lot more even though he had never been in the closet but he understood a lot more of the journey um sometime that summer it was around late July, early August of uh, 2009. I was driving back. I was on, uh, I remember I was on Route 30 somewhere over, um, just coming back. I'd just gone through the intersection at 41 right there at Indianapolis Boulevard and was heading towards home, which was um, in, in the eastern part of Shearville. And also she calls me and she goes, she goes, I need to know, are you gay? And and I just, go, I, I just said, I can't talk about this now. Bye. And so I called one of my dear friends who was uh, um, an out pastor and called him up. I said, what should I do? And he said, I can't tell you what to do, but what do you want to do? And I said, I want to tell her. He said, just be aware. It's going to change everything right there. And I said, I just have to tell her. So I went home and I remember we sat down in our room because it was the only spot that we could shut the door and people were away from us. And I told her, I said, um, I said, I'm not straight. I'm not bi. I said, I'm gay. And she goes, yeah, I kind of, kind of figured. She said, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. I said, the kids are young. What do you want to do? She said, well, I think we can remain married. She said, um, you know, let's just kind of see how this works out. She said, um, and at first she was very, very, you know, friendly and was even talking about, you know, someday we could get divorced and you can meet somebody and he can live downstairs with you and I can meet somebody and, and we'll live upstairs. We'll be this sort of, you know, 21st century family. 
And it's kind of like, hmm, I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, because there were so many other issues going on in our, in our life that I was like, no, I don't think the idea of being in the house is going to work, but I just kind of went, okay. And it just kind of ended right there at that point. Um, later on, um, after she had some time to process it, then um, I did have to come out to my parents uh, very quickly because she threatened, anytime she got mad about something, she'd threaten to tell them. So finally, one time I just snuck away and went down and pulled them aside and told them. Um, but at first it went very, very well, but later on it became a very touchy subject. Sure. I can imagine um, somebody wanting to do the best they can to make it work for the children involved in the scene, especially. But I would imagine that there's a lot of feelings that start developing on both sides when something mm -hmm. as big and truthful as your truth was presented um, because it changed her truth. Yes. Yeah. Both of our truths changed right there at that moment. And um, there were other elephants in the room that were that were going on. Um, um, just the uh, biggest one was just some mental health issues on her part that, you know, that was my challenge. Her challenge was, of course, my sexuality. And so there were other elephants in the room for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up in the Lutheran church and um, mine was Missouri Synod. Mm -hmm. And it was... I felt like very, I refer to it as like uptight Lutheran, um, very conservative in its, <laughs> its approach, I feel like. So it's, it's surprising to me to learn that your particular synod was more open and accepting. And honestly, that feels very refreshing to me to hear that. Oh, yes, I have. Um, since that time, um, I guess a good time to jump into this. So um, then, you know, from 2009 to 2014, I did stay with the congregation. I was serving there locally. Wonderful people, um, loved that, that congregation, still have a lot of connections still there, a lot of uh, dear friends. But I will admit that I let myself get in the way of the ministry, just with all that I was wrestling with. And there were a lot of frustrations between myself, between the congregation, especially between some people on congregational leadership. I couldn't honestly say what was going on because I was dealing with uh, situations in which, um, you know, while I was wrestling with my faith as far as, you know, what is the next step for me? I was also dealing with the realities of, if I say anything, I could lose insurance overnight for my kids. I could lose, a you know, I could lose the house. I could lose, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, th there was a lot of fear in there in the situation. So from 2000, 2009 to 2014, running was a great, outlet for me because I could just go out and just, you know, the endorphins, my brain would just shut down. And so in some respects, running along with some other things, I think probably saved my life because if I wouldn't have done it, you know, it's hard to say where my mind might've gone. Uh, but there's, you know, a lot of, you know, I, I've seen a lot of ways that different people and, and different uh, things that I chose to do during that time did help me in that process. But, um, they were also very much struggling with the congregation was very much struggling with what does this mean when the when the ELCA um, uh, decided to accept same sex relationships because they had come out of the Missouri Senate back in the 1970s. And so there was still a little bit of that thread in there, a little bit of that conservative thread in there. And we did a lot of um, soul searching 
Um, I did a lot of education. Um, the congregation continues to remain in the ELCA. Um, and I have seen, um, I went back not too long ago, we had a deaconess at the congregation who um, actually came in when I was there. And uh, as just a parishioner, she went through the deaconess program and actually is doing a phenomenal job with um, leading discussions on uh, human sexuality with them. And the congregation continues to thirst in learning what they don't understand. And so um, you know, if there's an area they don't understand, they very much want to know more about um, about it and are not afraid to learn. And so I, I, I deeply appreciate the people for that. Um, but in 2014, it finally reached a point to where it was a breaking point. And I just, I, I literally just at one point after a meeting, just the next day put in my resignation letter and just said, I can't go on. And nobody really knew why, because I hadn't been out at that point. I was getting out to more and more people, but I wasn't out professionally. Um, and it was, I think everything was just so scary for me at that point that that was the only option I felt to do looking back. And so I started reaching out and um, the direction I thought about going into uh, really was I, I was a special education. And so I got into a program for that and have moved into that. But um, yeah, uh, after that time, when I left there, the very next weekend, I went to uh, um, St. Luke's uh, of Logan Square. And the pastor there at the time, he was uh, very active in the Extraordinary Lutheran Ministry. This was a group of um, clergy and non-clergy who, who were um, extraordinarily ordaining pastors who were gay. They weren't supposed to be ordained in the Lutheran Church, but they were filling places and congregations where they just couldn't find a pastor and were willing to accept a pastor who was openly gay and who could possibly be in a committed relationship. And so I went over there and I knew Eric and the pastor. And the very first thing when I walked in is I met this older woman named Judy and her husband, Bill. And she just, the way that she welcomed and greeted me um, right away, I just knew that this was the place to be. And I am still an active member in that congregation. Um, I wasn't able to go to the wedding. Eric did end up marrying his partner and, um, Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to the wedding at that point, but uh, um, congregation uh, was very accepting. We've had uh, we've had a number of different interns who've gone through who have been openly gay, bi, lesbian. Um, so yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful place that I have felt great healing, and now I'm starting to jump into some service areas. That's phenomenal. I love to hear that so much growth is occurring within the Christian churches. Um, I hope it just becomes more widespread. It's honestly one of the reasons that I stepped back from my own participation in church years and years ago. And um, spirituality and my faith has evolved quite a bit over the years, but the lack of inclusion and the lack of acknowledgement of love between humans was always just very distasteful to me. Um, so it's just always been something that was a question in my mind growing up in private Lutheran school and, you know, going to church and Missouri Synod uh, upbringing that just never, never felt good to me. And it took me a long time to 
just trust myself enough to know that if something doesn't feel good like that, it's not for you. There's, there's a different approach. It doesn't have to be this way just because it's the way that you've always been told. Um, it's what mm-hmm. you've always been told to accept. Um, did you experience that in your upbringing as a kid that it was one way and this is the approach that it just should look like? You know, um, I was thinking about that. I knew you'd be asking a question like this, and I've been, I was thinking about that a little bit earlier uh, today. And the interesting thing growing up, because um, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America actually came together in 1988. So I was out of high school at that point. I was a uh, freshman in college when the ELCA formed. I, I was brought up uh, Lutheran Church in America, uh, LCA. There was also the ALC and the AELC and some other groups that came together. Um, I would say growing up LCA, it was just something just not talked about. Um, so there was this tacit quietness about others. Um, I do know at one point, like our congregation, um, when, um, when there was a massive, um, evacuation and relocation of people from Vietnam and Cambodia um, and other nations that were um, that were affected by the Vietnam War. Um, I do know that we sponsored sponsored a family and I do remember the congregation pulling together for that um, and and sensing that okay you know this congregation is awesome as far as you know like reaching out to the others. so I did feel like there was the welcoming of the stranger. Um, as far as those who are sexually diverse, um, it was just silence. So I didn't know what to think. And a lot of my silence in my head got filled with the, the, the void got filled from the voices of the screaming Christians. And so it was stuff that I would hear from people in like, say, the Kokomo area when Ryan White uh, was diagnosed with HIV and then AIDS, you know, the, the young boy. And how they kicked him out of school and they were afraid that he was going to infect their children at the drinking fountain. And there were even people who were, um, you know, making comments about, well, maybe he really is gay. You know, he's saying he got through a blood transfusion and, you know, to hear the voices saying, you know, if you're gay, you're just gonna, you're just going to be dead before you're 30. And not understanding, you know, I, you know, you hear that and, and that was all happening around the time period for me, that it, it really um, was around my junior high to early high school years that it, that HIV/AIDS got into the forefront of the news in the Midwest, and then those other Christian voices jumped in and filled the void and kind of, I think, created a dialogue of misinformation in my head. I did have my when I was in campus ministry at, at uh, Indiana University down in Bloomington. I did have a campus pastor who was amazing at dispelling some of those voices, but I wasn't there long enough um, before I graduated and then went off to seminary myself to um, get all those voices totally dispelled. And it probably did take me until I was around forty to finally get to where a lot of those voices that filled in that void of my childhood to go away. Okay. Yeah. I don't recall a lot of direct discussion about it either in my specific church, but there were, there was a unspoken knowing 
So somewhere yeah. along the way, it must have been said, right? But there was just this this unspoken rule, so to speak, that that was not what you should do. And that those were others, like the words you used, the other people, um, again, always felt just distasteful to me. And I wish that there would have been more open discussions at, the, mm-hmm. at that time in my life to have better understood and better uh, learned and accept all that was around you, even if you didn't want to believe that it was, right? Even within the church, as we have just talked about recently. Um, oh, definitely. My my, my twins, um, uh, about four years ago, uh, my three youngest came to live with me, um, first on an emergency situation, and then I got permanent custody where they moved into Chicago with me. And um, my oldest was already in college at that point. He just graduated this year. Um, at some point along the way, my twins made the decision that they wanted to, and they're 18 now, they just graduated from high school, uh, boy, girl, and, but they made the decision they wanted to go through confirmation. And so they arranged with, uh, pastor Aaron, we have a, a female pastor and, uh, they arranged with her, uh, to do confirmation. And a couple of times I was the adult sitting in, cause we always make for sure to have two adults present at all times who have been cleared. Uh, to work with the youth um and just the way that she was willing to move the congregation move the conversation and let um my twins and there was another young girl who was in there also that's a year younger than them two years younger than them uh let let her uh let them all shape the the conversation and they can ask any sort of question, if it was a question that seemed to really challenge belief in God, she was like, hey, let's go with it. Let's let's see where this goes. Let's discuss this. Um, and I really wish that we could have had those sort of conversations because uh, part of being that age is being able to uh, tear apart and then rebuild things. And uh, I don't see why faith needs to be any different, um, why, why we shouldn't have that opportunity to be able to be like, now, wait a minute, it says this here, but I see this going on in the world. What does, it, does this mean there's no God? And to be able to be like, no, you know, let's talk about how God might move within that sort of situation. Let's talk about why that might be going on. And let's kind of discuss, you know, what would it be like if there's no God? What would it be like if there is God? What does it say about God that this is going on? And, you know, and she very much let them just shape the way that the discussion went. I mean, obviously she, you know, led them along the way. But she let them ask the questions they wanted to ask. And I think they got so much more out of that than I did when I was their age. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, you know, just the notion, too, that it isn't as if it has to be one or the other. Um, People that I've spoken with about their faith in regards to what it meant to them once they came out as gay or maybe they always knew they were gay we were made to believe that you could not be both. You could not be, you could not be a Christian and also be gay. Yes. Yes. And and I know I have so many friends who are, you know, who grew up in the church and, and, the, and, you know, they, they talk about how they have a deep spirituality still in their lives, but because of how they were hurt, oftentimes they, they feel like they've had to make that binary choice. And so the spirituality might, 
you know, come about in, in a totally, totally different way for them. Um, and often, and sometimes hearing where I am with my congregation that I, that I am a part of now, they're just, it, it just seems so alien to them also because of the fact that there just wasn't that welcome there. And there wasn't that possibility of understanding that God can create, you know, when, when God says, I create you in my image, that means how you are. And actually, when, when, when we think about the Hebrew word for God, actually, most words in Hebrew, I believe every word in Hebrew is genderless. So actually, the word for God is actually genderless anyway. So we're the ones who genderized it with our language, um, who genderized God. And so, you know, that also uh, says a lot for females, too, because there's a lot of ways that God being personified as a he has been used in a way to also uh, make women uh, second class citizens within the church, too. And to totally push out the LGBTQ community. Yeah, without a doubt, I agree with all of that that you just said. And it is interesting to think about the way we have genderized God and how people just can't wrap their head around referring to God as anything other than a he or a him. Uh, it just seems, you know, people are unaccepting of that for sure. A lot of people are unaccepting of that, but I believe that you're right when you speak about that in the way you just did. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, from my one quarter of Hebrew that I took, I'm 99.9% .9 certain that all, I know God is a genderless word. And I believe that all words are non-genderized within that language. Andrew, how have you changed within your own faith or how have you embodied your faith differently since you came out later in life? Has that looked different for you now than it used to? Oh, it looks um, quite a bit different. Um, I honestly think that if anybody... You have to be one for your, your faith to constantly be shaken up, changed, twisted, moved around, reboxed, repackaged, thrown out of the box again, uh, pulverized, uh, put back together um, at all times. Uh, if you don't, then your faith is a dead faith. If you think that you have it all figured out and that everything is going to remain the same, it isn't. Um, just like with anybody who's gone through something traumatic, um, yeah, it, it is different. For me, um, I would say that I find myself um, being even, I was always very open to the other, but I would say that my journey with, um, with my sexuality has made it to where it, it very much led me into my next vocation, which I am now in special education. Uh, went back, got another master's degree. Um, at the age of 48, I finished that up. Um, I am getting ready to start my ninth year of teaching and my fifth year actually as a case manager. So where I actually work with the teachers, uh, making for sure that uh, uh, individualized education plans, IEPs and 504 plans, which are what guides the education for each individual student who has special education services, make sure all those are uh, written appropriately and that all their services are being taken care of, uh, coordinating between different people, coordinating between families, um, even to the point to where like yesterday I was a minister to the pastor, I mean to the, to the pastor, to the principal, 
because the principal called me up yesterday. He says, I just need to vent about something that's going on uh, with the hires up with special education. <laughs> and um, so, you know, my role even falls into that sometimes too. Um, but I do feel that how my faith was um, disassembled and reassembled led me into seeing that the sort of ministry, and I do see it as a ministry, um, even though it's in a very public school setting, and I don't use those terms there, obviously, but it's uh, very much um, where I see myself, um, the other that I, that I work with are students who um, think differently and need to have the playing field leveled as much as it can be to where they can grow as much as they possibly can within their education. I love the way that your own personal journey with all of this has evolved in a way that you are helping a whole nother group of people. You probably never even would have aspired to see yourself in this particular journey, the way that you're helping, the way that you're serving right now. Um, it's just that reminder that everything that we go through is purposeful. There's a reason for all the challenges and all the struggles that we need to step through to get to where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, it's just really cool to see how you've evolved in all of this. And I just love the, the journey um, <laughs> that you've shared, the bits and pieces that I've seen that you've shared publicly about just the way you've evolved. Um, it's really inspiring. It's really inspiring to see. And you are just such an example of how it's literally never too late to just decide that you're going to live your truth and just live your best life and be exactly who you are. Yes, it's, yes, it, it's, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's never too late. Um, and I've talked to uh, men and women um, who are even decades older than me, who finally, you know, maybe it might be that their spouse of 58 years just happened to die. And all of a sudden they realized they're like, look, I loved my spouse deeply. I was with them. We had a wonderful relationship, but I have to be honest to who I was. Um, yeah, it's never too late. And um, it's not easy. Uh, I will, you know, I'll, I'll put that out there for everybody. It, it is not easy. It's not something just wake up and go, you know, if you happen to be wrestling with your sexuality or with, with anything in your life that's going to cause a major change within your life, don't just go out there and think that, okay, I'm going to say this and now everybody's going to be happy, happy, and, and life's going to move on exactly how it has been. No, you're, you're shaking everything up. You're, you're, you're knocking everything down to the foundation. And the biggest thing is just take it one day at a time and make sure you have a good support network around you. Make for sure that you are um, willing to uh, um, see your life maybe five years down the road. It might be totally different than what that picture is in your head at that moment. You're making these choices, but um, are you making the decision to come out or whatever that major change may be in your life? Uh, that picture in five years could be that picture could be totally different within three months. Um, but just be ready, be ready to just uh, constantly, um, <laughs> as I said, on friends pivot and uh, um, make those changes and just go with it. Yeah. And being able to envision what you want for your life, what you see you're happy to be is so important in taking that faith walk 
when you can't mm-hmm. see what's ahead of you. I want you to talk to me about some of the challenges that you personally faced. What were some of the things that were hardest while you were beginning your path? The biggest challenge for me, because of the directions I had done in my life, um, was that um, I'd gone through, I had a master of divinity. I had been a Lutheran pastor for 18 years. Um, I had put myself very much uh, vocationally into a box. And it was knowing that when I opened up who I was, that things were going to change. I remember sitting down with my bishop of the Indian Kentucky Senate. He's still bishop, wonderful guy, um, uh, very great with discernment. Also, the assistant to the bishop was wonderful also. Unfortunately, we lost him within the last year to, to cancer. Um, but another great guy who was very helpful. Um, sat down and talked to him about what was going on. It, not at the beginning, it was more towards that end, more towards 2014, but still um, helping to wade through what this picture looks like for me. And um, I knew that within India and Kentucky that the opportunities for me to be able to be fully and authentically myself and to possibly be able to have a partner were very slim because congregations within the ELCA right now still do have that choice about who they are going to accept as a pastor. And they do have that choice to openly put out there whether or not it is somebody who is gay in a committed relationship. Um, you know, hopefully they're being honest about it when they interview with a pastor and don't make that person go through the whole process. And then all of a sudden they find out that's a no. Um, it's going to be interesting because that's one of the big challenges the church is facing is, is that, uh, that bound, it's called bound conscience. Um, and I believe that's going to be the next big challenge the church is going to face. Uh, the ELCA is going to face is getting rid of bound conscience and saying, no, we must have a level playing field for everybody. And you must be willing to accept the pastor period. Um, but it was just that whole thing of knowing that my coming out was going to likely totally change my vocation. Um, and that I would be giving up everything I knew for my entire adult life. And also knowing that because of having a BA in psychology and a master of divinity, um, more than likely I was both highly overqualified and highly underqualified for any job at the exact same time, which was the greatest oxymoron I've ever experienced in my life. (laughs) But look at how you have shown up. Look at what you've done for yourself. Yeah, I, I, I am so glad I took that leap of faith when I did because I, it was nine months of struggle. I, I It really was because I, I did have to pull together and I finally did some subbing in the Lake Central District uh, within special education um, and then went back and was actually able to do a fast track to where by that next, I, I, I left the ministry in October 2014 and starting uh, at the end of August of 2015, I was able to be in the classroom at a teacher's salary. But it was a it was a challenge during some of that time. Uh, we were on state state Medicaid for a while uh, because of you know lack of insurance and extremely low income being a substitute teacher. Uh, but ultimately, it was a change that needed to be made. And looking back, um, I don't know that I would have done it any differently um, because I honestly very much like where I am and actually very much love where I am. 
and have, if I had done it differently, I wouldn't be where I am now. I think that you really took a good close look at the two different hard choices you had before you and chose the right hard because staying where you were with the marriage that you were in completely complacent completely completely just not at all where you should have been that that I imagine would have been a lot harder if you can envision yourself in that same spot right now in life versus where you are now you chose the right hard honestly I don't think I'd be alive now if I had not chosen the path that I chose one way or the other I don't think I would have been here uh the the, the strain and the stress of everything was going to be too much on my body and um you know, it, it, it's hard to say if my body would have taken me out or if I would have reached a breaking point. Um, I could also feel where there were some ways that breaking points were starting to get into my thought process. And knowing that one or the other could happen, um, even before it got to where it was at a very dark place, uh, was more than enough for me to go, yeah, this is the right, scary, um, tough decision to make because the other one I could already see which way it was going to go. Andrew, I'm so proud of you for just choosing yourself. Well, thank you. I'm, you know, I, I, one of the great things about having this conversation with you today is I, I'm far enough away from that initial process and especially some of the extremely tough times I went through in it um, that uh, because I had a very, very tough divorce and there were some very um, acrimonious things that happened within it and continued to happen it for years. Um, there was, um, I actually met uh, someone and lost him to cancer. Um, so I actually had a very loving relationship uh, for a while. And there's just a lot of different things that have happened in my life that now they're just far enough away that that pain is always going to be there. But it's such I can look back and actually you're having me highlight some of the things that and I can look at those points of my journey that were very much that made me go into the journey. And those other points, yeah, they'll always be a bruise on my heart, but it's getting to the point where now they are bruises on my heart and not where this, this conversation has been very affirming today. Um, because it makes me see that all the, even the, the, the darkest days that I went through after that point, uh, very much, you know, just taking it one day at a time, making sure I had a great support network being, um, once I became honest and was able to talk to people, talk to a counselor, I, I can't stress enough. If, if somebody's listening to this and if they are thinking about coming out and come out, the very first thing you do is seek a counselor and someone who understands, uh, human sexuality issues, um, because that person is going to be a lifeline for you. And you may think you're sometimes saying the same thing over and over again to them or, or that you're asking questions that oh, he must think he or she must think I'm totally stupid. No, they have gone through this journey with multiple people and they know what it's like to be that infant coming out or that toddler. That's just, you know, trying to figure things out because you literally are going back to those stages. So make sure you're seeking that help. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that got me through it. Thank you for sharing that really important piece of advice, because it may not be something that everybody has at the forefront of their mind when they are deciding that it's time for them to live their truth. Um, thank you for that. And just for this conversation, too, because 
I don't know that you realize how many people you could potentially be helping by speaking so openly about the challenges that you went through, whether they were with your marriage or your faith or your career. And it's, it's just one of those hard things that people just tend to not speak on. And I think my generation, your generation and older, it, you just didn't, right. You just didn't speak Mm -hmm. about it. The younger generations are getting better at it. They're learning from our mistakes, but, um, finding, finding healing and help in the stories that we can now speak on because we've walked farther away from the traumas (laughs) Mm-hmm. it's just so important. Um, thank you. Thank you for just everything that you've shared thus far. And I would love to know, speaking of the younger generations, how your children have been a part of this journey with you and what their take on everything has been. You know, they have always been great. Um, I remember my ex and I never really talked about it with them. Uh, and that whole time, you know, in 2009, I think they always knew that something was off, but they also, like I said, there was also things going on with, uh, with, with, with her mental health. There were things going on with, with finances, there were things going on with a whole lot of stuff. So I think everything kind of got into this one huge cloud with them. So I, I, I remember, um, after I filed for divorce, uh, at the beginning of 2015 and, um, I moved out uh, in June and moved into Chicago in 2015. And probably around Thanksgiving was the first time that I had all four of them in the car going to my mom's house. And, you know, of course, you know, being the the typical teen tweens they had on their headphones and everything, I say, okay, guys, take everything off. And they're like, why? And, and I go, I got something I got to tell you. And I, and they go, what? And I said, I said, well, I'm gay. And, and they go, oh, okay. Let's, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, or, or kind of like, we, we, we kind of knew or something like that, you know, just kind of like, you know, it was kind of like, can we, can we go back to what we were doing? And it, it's pretty much been like that. Um, and it, it does make it to where, um, you know, one of the great things about my kids is that we're able to talk about so many things open and honestly. And, um, you know, as, as they've had different uh, challenges in their life, they've been willing to just talk about them. Um, and, you know, as they made different journeys, um, you know, going off to college, my, my oldest went off to college and now he's just graduated. He's actually moving back in with me for a little while here to be able to pay back his student loans. And so he's going to be here. I've got three going, I've got one going back to college and the other two are going off to college for the first time. And um, yeah, they, they are so much more open and honest with me about stuff and just what's going on both within society and within their own lives um, in ways that I would have never said to my parents whatsoever. And it's not that my parents were people that I was afraid of. It's just that you just didn't talk about it. And it was, and they didn't talk about it with their parents. Mm-hmm. So kind of cool seeing that with this generation here that that's breaking down. I love to hear that. And my gosh, I can't imagine how hard you stressed over that conversation. And then just for them to be like, whatever, it's fine. I mean, almost like I, was almost, I was almost angry for a moment there. Cause I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? I was waiting for you guys to be like, <laughs> I, had all, I had all the answers in, in my mind. And now you're just like, whatever. And, and going back to what you're doing, I would have a conversation here and you guys are blowing it. 
<laughs> oh, you had all these things that you were prepared to like talk to them about and they just squashed it all. That's terrible. Oh, the stress. But I mean, really and truly, when you stop and think about it, the things that you were stressing about that they might say or what their perception might have been, those were all adult worries. Like those are not in the minds of children. The things that we stress about as parents, it's not even anywhere on their radar. This is very true. Um, and especially today, um, because, you know, for better or for worse, they are exposed to so much stuff that we weren't exposed to. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, uh, they are willing to have conversations that either we weren't prepared for or society wasn't prepared for us to have um, when we were their age. That's so true. I just love the way that the younger generations are being better humans than we ever were or were mm -hmm. ever thought to be. It's just really remarkable. And I, and I love seeing it. Um, how can people that do not identify with the LGBT plus community be better allies? The best way is to speak up when you see uh, there is some sort of um, adverse uh, things happen to our community, uh, be it, um, I mean, obviously you're in Indiana. I'm originally from Indiana. Um, there are a lot of laws that are being passed with the uh, supermajority that the state has. Um, speak up. Uh, let your let let your legislature know what you think. Uh, tell your friends uh, what what you truly think. Um, when you see how it's hurting other people, uh, be vocal about that. Um, just like those of us who happen to be gay men should be speaking about what's happening to women also uh, within Indiana and other states right now since Roe has been uh, defeated, um, or overruled, not defeated, overruled. Um, so we should uh we should all speak up for each other when we see that because when, when when one is made lesser all are made lesser so we should all be willing to just speak up for each other i love that last statement that you just said that's so important and so true for everybody and if we could all just embrace that a little bit more giving love support and rights to one group of people does not take it away from you if you are not part of that same group and i think that that is something that just needs to be screamed from the hilltops and even louder for those beyond the hills to hear a little bit more clearly that, that's um, a challenge that we're seeing in this country is that for right now some reason it just feels like if you give the rights to one person you're taking it, it, it's like there's this finite amount of rights and if you take a, if you give somebody else rights you're taking away from mine it's like no you might feel that way you might you might feel like the fact that you can't openly discriminate against somebody who's gay that your right has been taken away but really you never should have had the right to discriminate in the first place right i agree with you and you know also with the lgbtq plus community how can we focus more on safety, especially as it pertains to coming out later in life or our youth coming out, how can we better support people in regards to safety? Safety, I would say one of the biggest things is, is that, that I always do try to be pretty um, cognizant of my surroundings. If I'm, I, I live just a, a block north of Lakeview of Boys Town here in Chicago. If I'm out with somebody that I'm dating and we're walking around, you know, I can hold his hand. I can, you know, 
you know, have a kiss out in front of a restaurant. Um, you know, um, you know, anything that a straight couple could do, I could do here without any problem. If I'm back in my hometown, I'm going to be a little bit more uh, in my hometown's Richmond, Indiana. And, you know, I, I have a love hate relationship with my hometown. Like I think all of us do with our hometowns often. Um, but, you know, one of the things I know that I kind of hate is that I know that if I brought somebody down there, I'd have to be just, you know, acting kind of like, are they buddies or are they not? Um, when we're out in public um, at most places. Um, a lot of it's just teaching to be cognizant and, and um, you know, I don't want for straight couples to be in their face about their relationship and, and there's no need for us to be that way either, you know, just have, you know, if, if it's a place that's not appropriate for you to be doing PDA, don't do PDA. Um, the biggest, Anybody straight or gay, right? Straight or, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, I, I do have some, some friends in the community that I think that sometimes they feel like, aha, I'm good. It's like, no, if this is a place that a straight couple's not going to do that, it probably should be the same for us. Um, you know, it's probably, it's more of just a, you know, that's not the appropriate place to be like making out. Um, but the community that I have the most fear for is our trans community and especially uh, um, trans black women. Um, it seems like by and large, that is a community that is targeted for the most violent crimes. And, you know, it, it it's, you know, as a straight, white, middle-class gay man, it's very easy for me to be able to shift back and forth in some respects to where, I mean, if I'm out by myself, people don't necessarily know I'm gay. I mean, unless I have a shirt on that, that says something, but even with that, you know, if I'm just going about doing my business more than likely 99% of the time, I'm going to be perfectly fine. Nothing's going to happen. But for a trans black woman to be living her authentic self means that every single moment she's already going to be at risk, especially in communities where just the fact of her skin might be putting her at risk to begin with, let alone her gender identity. Um, and that's one that, that very much saddens my heart is that is that especially for our trans black sisters, it is very, very tough for them to be authentically who they are and safe at the same time. And it's tragic because isn't that just what everybody deserves to be is their yeah. true authentic selves without worrying about whether or not they're going to be safe or not. You're not hurting anybody and, and worrying about bathrooms. I mean, I, I, last year I was at London and um, we went to see a uh, cabaret and the bathroom just happened to be on where we were just happened to be um, uh, gender neutral. And we had, you know, men at the urinals and women were coming in to use the stalls. And it's like, okay, we're all just, I mean, it, yeah. Did it feel a little bit weird? Yeah, it felt a little bit weird, but you know what? nobody was attacking anybody in the bathroom. We were all going there for one purpose. It was literally because we had had some drinks and needed to recycle them. Um, and, you know, and then to worry about somebody who is being their authentic self and who is not going to be safe in the bathroom of uh, their, their birth at gender. I mean, to put them at risk, to say that they're going to be a risk to somebody else when it's literally that their the gender identity, they are identifying with that person that they're going with in the bathroom. Um, yeah, it, the ways that we put people at risk just over these little petty fears that we have um, or these perceived ways that we've created 
issues that don't need to be issues within our heads. Um, yeah, I, 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 I just don't get it. I mean, when I have to go to the bathroom, I just have to go to the bathroom. Well, it's again, creating problems that don't really exist. You know, I mean, the bathroom issue drives me crazy. Two things come to mind when you talk about that. One of them being even, you know, kids, any kid that is, goes anywhere outside of the house, they are aware of a bathroom that is labeled boy and a bathroom that is labeled girl. And my son will often find himself walking towards the women's bathroom or the girls bathroom and then notices and turns around and I'm like buddy just go to the bathroom everybody goes to the bathroom who cares it's the toilet you know I just try to reiterate that all the time to him the other thing that comes to mind that really just I don't know if it was coming from a good place or not or if it was intentionally othering but I can remember not long ago uh, being at McCormick Place and they actually have bathrooms that are labeled transgender bathroom. And all I could think about was how anybody that walked in and out of that bathroom would immediately be many things, possibly judged, mm -hmm. others criticized, um, abused, potentially, possibly praised, possibly loved. But I feel like more the uh, you know the othering would occur in that instance, um, and it just really pissed me off. Yeah, especially because of the wide range of programs that they have, uh, of conventions they have, you know, from the NRA down to, you know, say, you know, anything that could be very gender affirming within that space. Right. So, you know. It was really disappointing to see that. Yeah. We, I, we in Chicago Public Schools have uh, restrooms labeled either as gender neutral or actually they're signed up from, actually they're still labeled boy, girl, but but there's also signs on them saying, please use the bathroom that you feel most comfortable using. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's also to where if we, um, if we have a transgender student, I don't, um, I'm not aware of anybody at our school right now, but if we had a transgender student, there would also be that knowledge that that student identified either male or female. And if they went to that bathroom, there would be, you know, that, that comfort level. Um, and, and I do very much um, love that. I also love the fact that we have a lot of trainings we have to go through online. Um, in fact, I just saw the list pop up again. And I'm like, I just went through those a year ago. But what I love is that the ones that last the longest happen to be the ones about um, sexuality and gender. And so our district is very much taking it seriously to make for sure that people understand um, just how much um, historically we have let down students and how we need to work to be able to make you know, all students feel comfortable in their learning environment. And then also helping students who may not who may not completely understand what that student who may be transgender let, let's say somebody's transgender um, they may not understand you know helping them to grow to understand okay what is the student facing in their life and you know helping them to see that that you know just because they identify as transgender doesn't mean that they are like some exotic strange you know creation it means that they're a student just like you and they're going through a lot and basically they're going through all the same you know challenges and struggles you're going through with the exception of having this extra that society has put upon them because of the fact that they identified differently than what perhaps society saw them at when they were a young child 
Right, exactly. And, you know, inclusion is probably one of the most important things we could be teaching, I feel like, in any environment. Um, because without it, all you're doing is separating people and breeding hate, essentially. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's uh, perpetuating what has already gone on in society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the only way to break it down is through education. Um, and with so many things, I just see so many, I mean, we could make this go on for another four hours. I know. I was just, this just is, going, just going, just going these podcasts the are never long enough, <laughs> but just going, but just going into every last thing in society that has uh, been, you know, that, that I see where uh, different states, especially are passing laws where, you know, um, we're, we're digging deeper and deeper into what our history is and the way that we have othered people. Uh, be it, you know, um, it's going to race, it's going to gender, it's going to sexuality. Um, and there are just so many ways that there are people who are afraid of, nope, this is the way that my parents learned it, this is the way that I learned it, this is the way that my kids have to learn. It's like, no, you know, part of history is, is uh, historians going back and looking in, especially as we get further away from something. Um, I mean, like, obviously, right now, you know, I tell my kids often, I say, what happened in 2020? With the election, with January 6th and all that, I said, for all of us, it's going to be mixed up with all the emotions of it. I said, I wish I could come back like 100 years from now and see what historians have to say. Because I, I said, it's what historians say 100 years from now that is probably closer to the real truth of it. Because by that point, the emotions are away from it. And so a lot of the things that they are afraid of are stuff that you know is 100 years plus away back in history that we're that historians are going back and looking at it through a more neutral eye and saying, no, the way we've seen it is totally different. No, that's not how I learned it. It's not how my parents learned it. It can't be. And so we're seeing that with, you know, and, and that's one of the biggest challenges that um, our community faces along with so many other communities um, in our society is that there's that huge pushback about where we're starting to understand the world differently and people don't want to see it through that lens. I love your take on these things. And I the thing that comes to mind is when you're talking about the history of things and what our parents learned and you know what's been ingrained and programmed into our our minds is just be willing to have your mind changed. I mean, if that's not the definition of growth, I don't know what is. No, that that uh, I love that definition right there. That that's exactly it. You have to go on to have your mind changed. And I told my students, my my students sometimes like, well, you're an adult. And I'm like, yeah, and I went back. I I just finished a, uh, an endorsement for ELL and for uh, curriculum and instruction. I'm going to go back this fall and relearn conversational Spanish. Um, if you're not willing to keep learning, you might as well just drop dead. Yeah, just you know, give a up. A little bit harsh, but you know, but still. Well, give up anyhow. Right. <laughs> yeah, and don't influence anybody else either. Just give up and stay in your own little cave if right. you're not willing to grow and learn and evolve because. You're just messing up the rest of the world around you if you're just stagnant. Exactly. I mean, I mean, we we, we all we all must be willing to grow and change. And you know, I and it's actually kind of funny because for the most part, the older I get, actually, the less stick in the mud I become because it's like like we're talking about how our generations, you know, there was so much that was just silent and just kind of silently learned. And now that we're now that people talk about stuff a lot more open, I find myself um, becoming you know, more and more of a leftist in many respects. I, uh, but along with that, I find myself just 
challenging a lot more things or being willing to let things be challenged for me. Doesn't mean I'm always happy about it. Um, and that's the other thing that people need to realize is just because you're challenging something and 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 have something challenging you, you don't have to be happy with it during the process. Because a lot of times I get really ticked off about what somebody's telling me. But then when I stop back and you know look into it and talk to other people and find out about it later on, I figure, you know what? They were right. And or or I find out that maybe they were partially right. Uh, but you know, but I find out that I've learned and grown and my opinions and my um you know, and, and, and the way that uh, something within the world fits into my values has shifted and changed. And it's okay. The sun came up. It may be behind a cloud, but it still came up that day. And it's still going to set at the time it's supposed to set. Seek out those conversations that make you uncomfortable, for sure. Oh, and definitely. Start the conversation right away by just saying, look, we are going to probably um, have a lot of emotions come up. We're probably going to, you know, get pretty heated and maybe even argue at a certain point. But just know that, like, we're going to be okay through this, because I think that's the other reason that people avoid having these conversations is because they're worried about the consequences of them. They're worried about, am mm -hmm. I still going to have a friend? Am I still going to have a relationship? What is this going to mean for my work life? And just know that you can go into a hard topic and still love the person, even if you don't agree with them, even if you see something a different way, as long as it's not hateful in nature. Right, right. I mean, there there, there have been a lot of friendships that were tangentials, uh, you know, but there, I, I had somebody online that was a tangential from childhood that just because of something that was just down and down hateful, I just had to just cut that person out of my life at that point. Because, you know, it's one thing to have a discussion and be like, I don't get where you're coming at from this. Can you explain it to me? But when it gets down and down hateful, um, it shows that your mind is totally shut. It also shows that you don't have a good argument to defend your your point of view or to explain your point of view um, when you get to the point where you're hateful. And I'll admit there's been times I've gotten away myself. And um, you know, when I've been frustrated, when I was in, when I was really overwhelmed in this journey, there were times I, I'll admit that was that way myself. And if somebody cut me out that point, I deeply apologize to them, but I totally understand why they did it at that point too. Yeah. You know, we're all human. We all respond or react in ways that maybe we wish we hadn't. But um, the good news is there's always a second chance. Um, as you have so beautifully shown us your whole second chance at the life that is serving you best that you're loving and embracing wholeheartedly and I just love watching it I just love seeing you like the smile on your face is just way more genuine than I remember it being 14 years ago yeah it it, it, it definitely it was definitely getting very forced by that point um a lot of things in life are getting very forced and yeah, I think that's been one of the coolest things through this journey is running into people who knew me then and who meet me now um yeah, I, I, I remember at some point uh, around 2012, I went back to a class reunion. So it was about three years after I was coming up and not fully out. And especially um, 2012, I went back to a high school reunion and um, I had a friend. Actually, I'd come out to another friend, um, my first friend from home. I'd come out to um, happen to run into him in Toronto a couple of weeks before and had come out to him. And I was sitting there and I was talking to another friend and 
we hadn't talked about anything with sexuality or anything. And all of a sudden he just looks at me and he go, he goes, you know, and, and in my hometown it was Andy. Um, I switched to Andrew at college and, and he goes, Andy, he goes, I'm so glad you're comfortable being gay. And I go, a what? And he goes, I go, I didn't even mention that to you. And, and he goes, no, you didn't. And I go, I go, did Scott talk to you? And he goes, I haven't even seen Scott yet. And I go, well, then how do you know? And he goes, well, you are gay, aren't you? And I go, yeah. And I go, and he goes, um, and he goes, how long have I known you? I said, we met in seventh grade. He goes, yeah, I've known since seventh grade. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, and so that my next thing to him was I looked at him, I paused and I go, well, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> I love but, that so much. But yeah, it, it, it's, you know, um, I don't remember what made me think of that, that particular story there. We talked about, but I think just the timeline there, you know, it's just so, you know, just so funny how there's just those, those different, you know, at that point there, oh, I know it was, it's just the fact that he told me later on, he said, I get to see how comfortable you were and you were never comfortable. Yeah. He said, all the time I'd known you, you were never comfortable. And now you're comfortable. So I realized that you were comfortable being who you are. And that's why I felt, why I felt safe telling you that right then I go, Okay. And, and the other fine thing there is that he and his wife are like extremely far right. But as far as, you know, um, as far as uh, LGBTQ, they are, they're actually very progressive within that. So, you know, that's one of those areas which you could be politically totally different from somebody, but still have, you know, a wonderful conversation, a wonderful relationship. Um, so, but it was just hilarious how that happened. Cause he just, like you said, the genuine smile and he goes, okay, yeah. I knew that something changed. Yeah, well, that resistance that you held up for so long wasn't there anymore. And it just makes me think how many other people we see walking around that seem uncomfortable or or somehow, you know, not in their own genuine self are just not showing up for who they are. And they haven't exactly. even admitted it to themselves, maybe. Exactly. Well, Andrew, you're bravery in taking a stance for who you are and what you deserve and the happiness that has always been intended for you is admirable and I'm so proud to know you well I'm so proud to know you too you were a wonderful coach and um just so one of the things I loved about you as a coach was just that you you forced us but you didn't force us <laughs> you, you, you forced us with kindness to just go that little extra, you know, half mile, whatever it may be, knowing that all of us were pretty much newbies at whatever age we were taking up running. And um, I've appreciated that. And I, and I see that same genuineness in this conversation. Yeah, well, I, I like um, helping people know what they're capable of. I like helping people get the hell out of their own way. <laughs> and just show up for themselves quite honestly so but it's not a shoving it's literally it's literally that it's literally just the, the way that you are that that it 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 uh opens people up to wanting to go that little extra mile well thank you for that i appreciate that and i appreciate you and i appreciate your willingness to share your story and i'm just so grateful for you that you're gonna allow me to share it and um give other people permission to hopefully show up for themselves too well, thank you so much. And uh, next time you're in Chicago, let me know so we could actually get together in person. I cannot wait for that. I'm going to make a point of that. Thank you for hey, the that invitation. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> thank you, Andrew.
Thank you so much. The moment we start trusting ourselves and believing the inner voices that keep whispering into our hearts, that is the moment, if we're brave enough to listen, is the one that sets our paths in motion for becoming who we were always meant to be. Andrew, you are a damn gift, an absolute inspiration. Thank you for your brave and for saying the things out loud that will help other people find theirs. To our listeners, thank you for sharing your time with us today. We hope that you share this episode far and wide. Ways to support and find support are in the show notes. There are many resources out there. We've only included a few, but some of them include the Trevor Project, which is supporting LGBTQ youth. Affinity Community Services, supporting and promoting justice in Black LGBTQ plus communities, and the Chicago Coalition of Welcoming Churches. Thank you for listening. Please check the show notes as well for ways to stay connected to all things podcast, sign up for the newsletter and blog posts so that you may never miss what's upcoming, what is being shared, and who is inspiring 